Hello everyone, this is episode 8 of Audiobookish and I'm here with Poppy Knight. Hello. And this episode is going to be a review of Slain the Horned God from Penguin Random House Audio. Um, Would you like to read out the blurb for Slain, Poppy? Yeah, of course. So... For too long, the people of Tir have suffered under the dominion of the Druns, strange druids who have poisoned the land with their magic. Slain has had enough of their tyranny, and through the Earth Goddess, he learns some shocking truths about the priesthood and his own future. Now Slain must unite the four kings of Tir and use their mystical weapons as he and the Caesar tribe prepare for all-out war. And this is a graphic novel adaptation, well, an audiobook mm-hmm. adaptation of the iconic graphic novel created by Pat Mills and Simon Bisley. Pat Mills is an iconic British comic writer and editor who helped revitalise the British boys' comics scene in the 1970s and has remained a leading light in the British comic scenes ever since. He's been referred to as the godfather of British comics. His comics are notable for their violence and anti-authority anti authoritarian anti oh, I can't say that word. Okay, you, you know what I mean. Um, he's best known for helping to create 2000 AD and has played a major part in the development of Judge Dredd. Simon Bisley is an award-winning British comic book artist, best known for his work on ABC Warriors, Lobo and Slain. His style is reliant on paints as well as inks and his influences are Frank Franzetta and Bill Silzunkiewicz. And yeah, so they're the creators of the graphic novel that mm-hmm. this audiobook is based on. Penguin Random House Audio have done a, a series of these 2000 AD adaptations. They've done this, Judge Dredd, and there was another one whose name I can't remember. So I think there's about three of them that they've done, and I think they're doing an entire series. So I think this was your choice, Poppy. How did you first hear about it? Well, it sort of was. It was kind of a collaboration one, wasn't it? Yeah. Because you pitched that we do one of these 2000 AD ones. And this one yeah. definitely stood out to me as being more my sort of thing. <laughs> I mean, we've got the kind of fantasy angle, the mythology stuff that, yeah, just made this one seem really exciting for me. So, yeah, it was definitely my top choice of the three. And of course, and Rebecca briefly mentioned it in our interview with her as well, that she uh, thought it would be awesome. So, yeah, took that on board. It's kind of a full production audiobook. Mm-hmm. So, we've got multiple vocal performances. So I think kind of the main narrator is Uko, who's Mm -hmm. a dwarf companion of Slain. So I was just wondering kind of when you first started listening to it, what were your um, kind of initial impressions of it? Yeah, definitely. So I hadn't read the graphic novel before. I went in straight for the um, this audio, but then after I listened to it, I got the graphic novel and I read volume one and then I read with volume two from the audio playing in my ears yeah and then i went back to just reading volume three so we'll definitely get into some of how that went for me but yeah back to when i was first listening to the audio i've kind of got my notes here it feels so radio play <laughs> it's yeah. kind of because it, it definitely did and yeah and i thought that was really good i mean i've spoken before that i love things like that and forecast stuff is awesome and especially when they don't abridge just fabulous I added here that um, it made me feel like it was a bit of a parody, but I think that's because, so one of my favorite radio series is called Elven Quest, and it is a brilliant fantasy parody series. And so obviously, you know, the nature of parody is it takes tropes that actually exist in a genre and, you know, uses them, but makes fun of them a bit. So that obviously then 
colours you a little bit when you go back to something that is more actually a member of that genre i guess is a way you can talk about it um, yeah. and it made me sort of feel like it was just because it felt so similar to elven quest but then there were other times where it did feel like kind of as i got more into it it felt kind of more okay yeah i'm straight in with this and then another comparison i listened to an audio version of the hobbit about a year or something ago and it started feeling a bit more like that as well especially with like you say Uka the narrator was kind of like that style so yeah, it was it was nice because I could relate it to these two different experiences that I've had. But yeah, both good ones. And yeah, it does actually have some comic elements in it that kind of hark a little bit to Elven Quest as well. Yeah, I think for me, the sound design on this is absolutely oh superb. yeah. Sometimes with radio plays, I, I kind of I struggle a little bit to kind of like get into the world, but the sound mm. design on this immediately grabs you and you're kind of mm. like immediately with it and you yeah. go with it i would say i do have a slight criticism of like i think maybe the opening 10 15 minutes it was a little bit like quite exposition heavy and there was kind of a lot <laughs> of names being thrown out there and i I read a lot of like fantasy and stuff like that so mm-hmm. i think maybe when i see a name spelt down on the page it's easier for me to keep track of who that is in relation to other people but especially some yeah. of the the celtic names they sound quite similar to each other and so i was finding it wait i know you've just said that name but who's that in relation to that person so yes it's a little bit exposition heavy yeah yeah my main one with that was the actual place names so because there's phineas and phallius i think are two of the kingdoms that you know it says about in that blurb and yeah there was a bit both when i was listening to it i'm reading it where i was like wait a minute i thought they just went there and there's oh there's two different places that sound (laughs) very similar Uh, but yeah i get you yeah yeah so it's kind of really nicely paced and kind of i think uko is the standout star performance of the mm. series i think his performance is full of humor and he's kind of a nasty piece of work that's also kind of <laughs> trod on a lot as well so I, yes. I, I really enjoyed his part in the story and his performance especially yeah definitely and to go to elven quest again so there's a character called creech in there and there's definitely some parallels between that uh, uko and creech the uh, sort of hanging on the tails of the uh i almost said main hero but that isn't the case for creech because he's on the bad side um but yeah <laughs> hanging on the tails of, of a kind of master figure and the regular beatings that are sort of made fun of and stuff like that and they play dumb or they are kind of seen as the more dumb character for a lot of it but then at other points they show some real cleverness and things like that so yeah there's a good parallel there yeah and you're yeah, just going back to the graphic novel i think mm-hmm. for me that a big draw of the graphic novel was Simon Beisley's art. I think mm-hmm. it's so striking. So I, there is something lost in the adaptation, but I think there's yes. also something quite a lot gained. So I remember reading these back when I was, I've, I don't remember reading the Horned God specifically, but I do remember yeah. there were stained graphic novels in my school library. Mm. And this is an image that struck of me all this time kind of 20 years on is Neve giving birth alone cold and kind of you know half naked giving birth to slain son mm. that's an image that's kind of stuck with me all that time and you can't really you can't really capture that with an audio yeah. book but you do get other things from it so I was just wondering maybe it's a wider question to approach towards the end of the review but I just you know as you read the graphic novel and listened to mm-hmm. the audio book what do you think was gained and lost no. definitely and like you say we probably will touch on it more as we go but i yeah i completely agree with you that the images are stunning they really are yeah i'm kind of glad i didn't just do the audio because like you say you do miss out on that as a kind of 
I guess a lighter one to start off with. There's a lot of kind of fantasy creatures that you don't get the visuals of, obviously, in the audio. Yeah. That's fantastic in the um, in the actual graphic novel. But then also kind of plot-wise, there was a lot that I had missed. And in some cases, realised I missed. And in other cases, didn't realise I'd missed as for like what actually happens. Um, yeah. So a lot of the time in kind of fights and stuff, in the audio, I didn't quite realise who was winning or what was happening because that is told through the images in the graphic novel. Yeah. One in particular, the evil being that Maeve brings up to attack Neve, well, to kill Neve, yeah. ends up eating himself, right? And, oh. you know, I didn't quite understand how yeah, that okay. happened when yeah. I was listening to it. You know, they kind of say, oh, he's so stupid, he ends up eating himself, yeah. which is fair enough, and that is kind of the overall reason why it happens. But then when you look at the graphic novel, Slane actually puts his fist into his mouth while he's fighting, which is why he then ends up keep chomping away and then eating the whole of himself. But I had completely missed that in the audio. I remember sitting there being like, okay, but why did that just spontaneously happen? Because you didn't get the fact that Slane had done that to then start it off. Yeah, I think that is, if you're adapting a book, the way that they've done it, I think that's an inherent limitation because action scenes are just, they're more difficult to translate audio wise, unless you're giving like a full description of what's happening. So yeah, I mean, you can kind of translate it with, you know, sound design, so sound effects mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing. But to actually get the kind of like the ebb and flow of like an action scene, just that way, I think it's quite difficult. Most of the time, I think it worked well. So, you know, there was that one and I think the final conflict as well I've, I, I, mm. I've kind of lost track a little bit of what's happening there yeah and I do totally get you and I think with a lot that would definitely be the case however I think the fact that this graphic novel is the way that it is gives you a bit of leeway on that yeah. so it is a very narrator heavy graphic novel anyway it's, it's a very meta text because it's the idea that Uko is the scribe he is writing down all of these adventures and we are reading his things we often zoom out into his writing process and what's going on and things like that and there are a lot of places in the graphic novel where it does explain stuff in a very narratorial kind of way that could have just been left to the pictures and weren't and I feel like it wouldn't have been a ridiculous thing for instances like that to have added a little bit of that kind of box narration part into there, especially when, so when I was in volume two, I was actually listening to it while I was reading it. There were some changes that were made to the text. There were some sentences that got added um, and definitely some words that got added in other places. And yeah, I feel like where in other graphic novels, if it doesn't have that kind of narrative style, it will be very imposing to then have a description explanation part in for sure. But I feel like this one, you could have compensated a little bit for some of those moments where there is a change in the battle or something like that that is yeah. just shown in the images. That maybe they could have snuck just a short line in there that would still fit the style, that would still be respectful to the original, but would maybe help you along a bit in the audio so you didn't feel too lost. Yeah, I think that's kind of a fair point. I think the other thing that we probably need to know is that this is kind of like a brand new frontier in terms of audiobook adaptations. I'm sure, you know, lessons going to be learned along the way. So, you know, it's kind of when you're adapting a book to a film, you have to make an adaptation to make sure that story works in the format mm. that you're choosing to tell it. All the vocal performances were yeah. absolutely superb. You know, Uko was... Excellent. I really enjoyed Neve's 
performance. Yeah. Mabe was delightful and Slane was everything he kind of would want from that performance, kind of like charismatic, <laughs> cunning, kind of the performance you'd want to hear. Yeah, totally. I was quite pleasantly surprised by how faithful it was because sort of, like I say, fresh ears, just listening straight into the audio. I wasn't expecting it to be so narrative. A lot of the graphic novels that I've read do rely on the pictures a lot more heavily than this one does. And I genuinely didn't know how much they changed it. So it was kind of nice when I then opened it and went, oh no, this is how it was then. It was like this. So that was kind of cool. And yeah, like you say, all of the performances were incredible. They're not necessarily the voices I would have had. There was a few times when I was reading it where I'm not sure that I felt they matched up. So like with Neve, like you, I loved it in the audio. It's not necessarily the voice or the style I would have picked. You know, if I were choosing who would match up with those images, like I said, it's not a bad yeah. decision, just not how it matched with me. So yeah, so like Neve for me, her relationship with Slane is a really complicated and tortuous one. They don't really get into it too much in the audiobook, but um, like Neve was really badly let down by Slane earlier on in life, mm. and like the actress was good, but I would have maybe chosen someone who's who sounded like she'd been through a lot more like terrible stuff. If that makes sense, mm. she sounded very young, didn't yeah. she? Like quite child, and not in a childish way, but as in yeah, youthful. Which obviously she is, but yeah, I get what you mean. A sort of naivety as opposed to a experienced, maybe is the distinction. Yeah, as opposed to kind of like Mabe, who carried that kind mm, of all yeah. you know the stains of everything that she'd done in a in a kind of vocal performance. I think a little bit more. Yeah, yeah maybe Neve was a little bit too full of life. Maybe I think was, um yeah, I don't know. I get you. Yeah, and then also because kind of going with that, she she's drawn in a graphic novel at certain points especially it was very muscular i loved it i thought yeah. it was awesome um but yeah it doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily the impression you get from the audio not that people who sound like that can't look yeah. like that definitely can but yeah it's like you say it's that sort of i mean like every form of art and storytelling you're always asking your audience to pull on you know their own cultural yeah. associations and stereotypes it's just how it works and yeah for a number of reasons it wasn't necessarily like an exact match but it didn't necessarily need to be and kind of similarly, there were some moments, like I say, you can only tell if you're literally listening and reading at the same time, where maybe like the facial expressions didn't quite match the tone that the narration was using. You know, that yeah. seems like a directorial decision for, okay, we're going to take this in a slightly different way to maybe how they intended it in the original one. Pacing was definitely one that I thought was really interesting when I was going through it like that. You know, there were times where maybe the sound effects for what was going on in one panel didn't involve the dialogue that was going on in that oh, panel okay. maybe that was a bit sooner or a bit later or stuff like that really interesting like intricate things of just how they decided they wanted to build the picture in the audio version that was just slightly different to the graphic novel which i just i was just just fascinated by i was thinking oh why was i doing my dissertation last year this would have been there yeah <laughs> an awesome thing to dig into with proper detail that kind of adaptation is just yeah really interesting so I, you know, one of the things I really enjoyed about this was their use of Celtic myths as mm. kind of a basis for a lot of the, well, all of the story really. So I was just wondering, basically this and kind of Song of the Sea, are kind of mm -hmm. the only two like recent examples I can think of where Celtic myths are used as the base of a story. And I think that's such a shame because there's such a rich yeah. seam of characters and incidents mm -hmm. that you can kind of mine to tell stories from there. 
Definitely. And it kind of gets overshadowed by, you know, Norse myths, Greek myths, stuff like that. They end up kind of as the, the big hitters, don't they? But yeah, there's so much that you can mine out of that. It's unfortunately not something that I am massively knowledgeable on yet, but definitely would like to learn more on it. Yeah. And I think as well, I was kind of picking up on something from earlier, your knowledge of like the other slain novels will have helped you there as well so like you were saying with Neve's relationship to Slane and things like that so as well as the mythological world that they pull on from actual Celtic myths kind of the fact that they can also pull on the world that's already been created for Slane is quite interesting but yes if you only come at it from this audio adaptation of this one story you won't necessarily have that. Yeah I think at a certain point you've got to take a story on on its own merits and kind of maybe I don't want to say put the blinkers up, but just take it as it is. Mm. And you definitely can have this one on its own. Yeah. And I think a lot of the people that will be listening to this book will be fans of the graphic novel. So they will mm-hmm. come with all that knowledge and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, background into the kind of the characters and stuff like that. But if you, even if you didn't, I think there's, it's so, it's so beautifully like put together and mm-hmm. engaging that you will get a lot out of it. That's, you know, from the vocal performance, the, the sound design, the story yeah a zillion percent and you know i can definitely say given that that was my experience that that's totally the case and you know again going with i didn't realize how much they changed it or hadn't changed it so at the beginning it does a kind of echo saying if you're gonna enjoy this you're gonna want to know some of the backstory and goes through the backstory and i wasn't sure if that was something that because this was a new venture if we're going to adapt these kind of ones on their own we're going to need to do this for our listeners but it isn't it's actually something that is in the graphic novel kind of just as a maybe people are reading it and they haven't read the other slains and yeah. so, that, so that was something that was already there but yeah clearly the same thought processes of if somebody new is coming to this what do they need to know which is really cool and then you were saying there about that you get some advantages in the audio we've touched on it a few times but some more things to say on that because even though like we say plot wise there's maybe some things that you don't get because the pictures are missing and some things like the animals and things like that. But there are some things that are either done as well or maybe even better. So echoiness is one of them. Really quite early on, you get a a zoom out of echo writing in a massive stone hall kind of thing. Yeah. And I could, like I say, I had already heard it when I saw this picture, but I could hear it in the image. The image is so good at telling you that echoiness. But then equally, when I was listening to it, I could see it. You know, what the echoes were superb. You could tell how big the room is. You felt the walls were cold. Stunning, really stunning, the echoes. And the echoes underwater as well. Oh, that yeah. That underwater such a good sound so, was yeah, incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's um, that, the, the sound design on this is superb. I've not listened to The Sandman, but that's mm-hmm. kind of another. I've heard a lot of things about the sound design in, in that I, I'll be hard pressed to see it beating the sound design in this one. Fair. It does give you kind of a really environmental yes. feeling, kind of even the, the battle scenes, you can feel like the smokiness mm. just through the, the sound design and yeah. you know the effects that they choose. Mm-hmm. Totally. It is phenomenal. And like the 3D element with it as well, you know, going from ear to ear, which side it's playing in uh, was so oh, good. I missed that. So I, I was listening to it on my iPad. So oh. I just, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I, I might need to listen to it again with my headphones yeah. on then. 
Yeah, there is some, and it's nicely done. There was one place where I didn't love it as much. So there was a part where someone was like panting really heavily. I think it was Maeve that was just a bit weird because it was kind of like there was panting coming from one ear and then the other ear, and it kept switching. And that <laughs> that was a bit. <laughs> okay. I was like, where am I at this at this point? Why is she panting in different ears? But apart from that, it was fabulous. Yeah, you felt like you were kind of in between when like Slain was arguing with Cathbad. You were in between the two of them if I remember rightly and stuff so that kind of stuff was uh yeah that was really cool so yes I do recommend you listen again with some headphones okay but I'm sure it was also great without <laughs> cool so I mean just going to like the meat of the book itself that I mean, I've got like themes uh, yeah. written down in my notes and I've got feminism environmentalism yeah. uh, men taking credit for women's work anti anti-religion question mark uh, mm. bad traditions versus building a new world so i think maybe talk about feminism question mark um yeah one of the themes of the novel yeah i mean uh we we've we've discussed gender things in a, in a yeah. lot of these episodes and i don't want to be that guy but we've got yeah. to talk about it in this one haven't we yeah. you know yeah. you, you couldn't talk about this book and not talk about the gender stuff in there obviously as i've said before i have a bit of an issue with things that are so binary they're so yeah. men are this women are this which yeah. it certainly was apart from i loved one bit that was quite early on, I think, when he's in the cauldron talking to Danu, the Earth Goddess. Yeah. And they were kind of talking about back in a time when women were ruling the world and stuff like that. And it was kind of, there was an idea that they were treating men like objects, like men in that present. And certainly we can relate to some parallels yeah. in our world. And it was nice because it was kind of the idea that it isn't about gender, it's about who has the power. Yes. That was quite interesting. It's like, we're all the same. <laughs> it just depends who's managed to end up in charge kind of thing. So I liked that. But then everywhere else in there, it was very, these are this and these are this. Apart from, like I say, Muscular Neve did a good job of pulling some of that back. And she was, you know, smithing a, um, a metal hand and she was uh, kind of taking on some traditionally more masculine roles and, and stuff. But overtly, it did a lot of men are this, women are this. Yeah. And I think... I don't, I've got feminism question mark mm. uh, down on my notes because I think there is a lot of criticism within the book about how men and especially the priesthood mm -hmm. treat women and handle power. But Neve has obviously got a key role to play within the story and Maeve is, is one of the main avatars of yeah. evil as well but it, it did i don't know I'm, I'm struggling to kind of like uh verbalize what i what, what i'm thinking about its approach mm. to that dynamic because i did i don't know how you felt but i did feel maybe it was trying to get across the point that oh things would be so much better if women were in charge but then like danu not to give spoilers but it doesn't necessarily work out that way mm -hmm. for slain when he does try and sort of give women more power yeah it's a little bit all over the place mm -hmm. for me yeah and i think like you say it's one of the reasons why it is difficult to pin down i don't think you can i don't think anyone can say that it has one message and part of that is because so we've talked about how uko is writing down this saga 
Yeah. He's telling you the story. But Nest actually changes some of what he writes. And oh, that, it's kind of a commentary. Some from of my a, favorite bits. Yeah. Some of my favorite bits were just kind of like, well, we just crossed that out. And that whole idea of Uko and Nest being like equally unreliable narrators. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's the thing. The whole book is really unreliable. There are some parts where you get told by a kind of unnamed being a translator, I guess, from the writing that Uko did to our English that we're reading or listening to it with that tells you, okay, this part we reckon was written by Nest. This part we reckon was written by Yoko. You know, there's some parts that are definite, but most of it you don't actually know. And there's no way to tell whose perspective it comes from. And you have them set up as complete opposites. So you have a lot of Uko is set up in quite kind of misogynistic terms, in viewing women very much as just sexual objects in a lot of ways he does do that he's he is certainly not in any way a feminist icon of the book Um, and then you have nest who's very much on the other end of the spectrum who pushes so hard for her version of this is a a feminist way and equally in the things i don't like of being women are like this that's why they're different from men kind of stuff and as a slight tangent you know i love meta stuff yeah i think it's fabulous but i think it went a bit hard going on the the message sort of thing i feel like she just laid it on really thick when she was kind of going no slain did that because he was following the way of the horn god because he was acting more like a woman and just like telling you what the message was meant to be yeah which i didn't really i felt like you could have done it in a slightly more subtle way but even yeah. that you don't you can't say that that is the overall message because it isn't necessarily because of these you know two different both unreliable narrators you don't know what's really the truth and then at the very end you have the the, like eternal living ones tell nest to stop interfering as much with the story yeah Um, because like people reading it want more of like the violence <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. yeah so which like i say is the polar opposites and not necessarily yeah you know good she's trying to get rid of the violence it's like nah i love the violence let's keep you know you've got to have a nice balance between the two but that was a kind of an interesting thing of okay so where does the book stand overall if the ending is telling the woman to butt out with her feminist sort of angles on it so yeah kind of summing all that up is that i completely agree with you it's very difficult to describe what it's stances and what its message is because it really doesn't let you answer that question yeah i think kind of its environmentalism starts i think it's a little clearer in terms of yes danu being mother earth and being sick and tired of being used and abused by men above and um a civilization spreading incessantly across her land and building cities and things of that nature and making the argument that there needs to be maybe more of a balance because otherwise bad things will happen to the tribes of men. Yeah, definitely. And as a way to connect those two themes, there's kind of like a a mixed, but as in like really nicely entwined metaphor about covering her up. Yes. About men being obsessed with covering her up. And I liked that you can read that both and simultaneously in covering up women you know, covering up their bodies, not letting them have autonomy over their bodies and how they want to express them, how they want to show them and things like that is definitely a part in there. You know, you shouldn't be controlling my body. But also then, as you say, it's also a brilliant metaphor for the environmentalism stuff, the idea that they're putting cities all over the earth, just forgetting about nature. And yeah, that tension between those two things. Yeah, I think that's something that you can kind of go back and listen to it again and try and figure Mm. out what what Mills and Bosley trying to kind of get at 
there. Mm. I think the other thing for me, like the other two major important themes were, I'm, I'm, I say like anti-religion, like question mark. I think it's more about questioning traditions, bad traditions. Yes. You know, versus trying to build a new world that's fairer and better for everyone. Yeah, it was definitely, I mean, a case like there is with a lot of things, it's normally more against organised religion than it is against religion itself. You know, it's, it's got God in the title of it. You know, the horned God it is about gods and things like that. And they are respected and important characters. And the idea was the problem was that these druids and druids were twisting that religion they were making the gods into something that they weren't to suit their own purposes so yeah definitely against organized religion but yeah not clear about its stance on religion as a kind of i guess a more pure faith thing yeah i think it's kind of like that i don't know if you've read like a lot of terry pratchett but you know in in, in, in kind of like this world like gods do exist but it's Mm -hmm. you know just because they exist and they've played a role is should you actually pay them any heed or respect or worship Mm -hmm. definitely in pyramids you've got an amazing comparison here i can't remember the names it was a while ago since i read it but you have the same thing you know a new king takes over but it's actually his advisor that's really running the show and claiming that the gods are saying this the gods are saying that and then the gods come back (laughs) it's like "Uh, actually (laughs) that's not what they were wanting and you're in deep trouble yeah sneaking in there in case we don't come back to it some other great practical things of just this kind of you know relating stuff to our world into this fantasy setting which is something that he is fantastic at um, and has done really well in this book and then dragons <laughs> yeah. and there's a dragon farm briefly mentioned that yeah reminded me of Pratchett and then also Maeve wanting to be sacrificed is very color of magic like fantastic yeah. uh, thing of princess wanting to be sacrificed to the gods I wouldn't say that they are similar as in if you like one you'll definitely like the other or that they've got the same overall tone because they definitely don't but there are some nice connections I guess yeah, I think Slain as a comic book does kind of where it's influenced. So I'm not saying that Slain was influenced by Discworld or maybe vice versa more so, but um, Slain is very much in the sword and sandals, kind of like Conan the Barbarian yeah. hero. You know, he's very rarely seen without his shirt off, kind of, you know. <laughs> I know it's like Tin and Og, but, you know, in my head it's quite similar to Island, which I don't think is you know, dependent on your um, tolerance for temperature, always like shirt off weather, I don't think. <laughs> I get but, you, um, I get what you mean. Yeah, but, you know, and that, you know, obviously that doesn't come across the audiobook too much, but yeah, it's kind of just one of those things there as well. And also you say that, but it's going back to what you're saying about how amazing the performances were, you can really hear Slane's confidence in his voice. And I guess that's normally what the kind of men's shirt off thing represents. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Bravado and confidence. And you definitely do get that in his voice. Yeah. Even yeah. when you can't see it, you sometimes get the same atmosphere from the sounds as you could get from the visuals. And yeah, I think that definitely does show. Just going back to the performances, one of the things I really did appreciate was the fact that it's basically an all Irish voice cast from what I can tell. And I really appreciated the use of accents to actually lend a sense of place. Yes. Because it would have been really easy for them to go with the decision to kind of like just everyone speaking in Shakespearean style, mm. you know, voices, if, if you know what I mean. But they, you know, they chose to go with a variety of Irish performers yeah. with a variety of regional Irish accents as well. 
I was just about to say that as well. Yeah, the fact that it's not one Irish accent, it's multiple different kinds of Irish accents was really cool. I mean, it's certainly more subtle in Echo for the main narration. Is there? Yeah, but- so for me, oh, yeah, for, for me with Echo, I originally thought that he was English, but then there are certain points where his Irish accent does come across, mm. but it's a lot more subtle than yeah. um, many of the other performers in the production. Yeah, but yeah, like you say, definitely fabulous that they have kept that. I think it would have been wrong for them not to. Like you say, there was definitely a choice that they could have not done. And, you know, if this was done a number of years ago, possibly would have been the case. But yeah, it was certainly right that they did have a lot of Irish accents in there, a lot of different ones, like you say. It was really cool. It gives a sense of place. Even though technically Turnanog isn't Ireland yet, you know, they moved to Ireland at the end. It's still fabulous the way that works and does sound, um, yeah, incredible. Yeah, I really enjoyed this and you know i'm kind of out of us too i'm the one who's a little bit more reluctant to you know <laughs> go into the kind of full audio play kind of this style of adaptation but i think this yeah. works kind of exceptionally well the other penguin random house audio adaptation that i listened to was the ballad of halo jones which mm. It was fine, but I just think it's a far weaker story than this. So when you've got a kind of a story and a rich cast of characters, a a rich plot like this, and I think it just lends itself to this sort of um, adaptation far better. So I think I really, I really enjoyed it quite, quite a lot. And I think they've done quite a superb job with it. And I'd recommend it for fans of the graphic Mm -hmm. novel, fans of fantasy in general, just fans of like audiobooks as well. Definitely, I completely agree. And I was thinking of you when the sound effects were coming in and, and stuff like that. I was like, oh, I wonder what he thinks. Yeah. Um, and so quite early on yeah. when it's doing this sort of catching you up part, Uko is narrating past adventures that they've had and you get the sound effects of these past adventures happening you know you get swords clashing you get dragons screeching and stuff like that and i even before i even had the graphic novel hadn't even bought it yet i could picture that i could see it but i could see it you know sort of in a film where like they overlay the transparent um oh yes of of, Yeah. yeah of the scene they just overlay it so you get both the narrator and you can see what's happening that was the impression i got in those moments and it does happen a few times later on that yeah they're doing a flashback in that way was just yeah superb but yes, I didn't know how you'd think about that. So good to, good to know yeah. that you liked it. Yeah. I mean, it's not that I'm completely uh, kind <laughs> of against it. You know, I, yeah. I, I will listen and enjoy audio. You know, the next one that we're going to be doing is a BBC radio play, which has got kind of like sound effects and multiple mm. performers in it. It's just, I think you need to think really carefully about when you do it. And I think yeah. they have here. They and I think definitely. they've treated the material of respect that mm-hmm. it deserves. For sure. And, you know, like you were saying before, it is certainly something that lends itself very well to the adaptation. You know, it was a good pick to go for. Clearly, they weren't writing it with that. Oh, well, in the future, someone will make an audio version of this. They they clearly weren't, but it does lend itself very well to it. But like you say, could have easily been ruined. It could have been done badly, but it wasn't. It was superb. Yeah, really, really good. So I'm a bit keen now to check out the other Penguin uh, mm. Random House audio adaptations. Um, one thing I do want to say, so how long is this audio adaptation? Let me just have a look. I think it's about two about and a half, three. maybe three hours long. Yeah, because yeah. it's kind of an hour, then 45 minutes, then 50 minutes. I think something like that for the three different volumes split up into those tracks, which is quite nice because you do get a kind of, um, you can take a break if you want just the way that it you know came out and the way that it's structured you can listen to it in those parts which is quite nice or you can just binge it all in one 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think I purchased this for around £10, something like that, off of the Apple iTunes store. So I think that's a perfectly fair price for this audiobook. I think on the Audible website, you know, if you've got an Audible membership, obviously you can use your credit, but mm-hmm. they've got listed for 25 quid, which I think is a bit expensive for yeah. three hours. But if you're going to get it from, you know, if you've got an iTunes account, get it from the iTunes, I think yeah, 10 quid for this is well worth it. I think you kind of mentioned previously when we was talking about this that's mm-hmm. kind of the price you'd pay for like a cinema ticket exactly yeah that was what i was thinking because i also you know saw the audible price and was like ah, three hours um and then yeah like you say the apple price is a lot lower and then also i mean you know i listened to it all the way through and then also listen to the second one and then we'll listen to it with other people because it was really good you know you do have that replayability that you don't get with a cinema trip um yeah, yeah that was what made me go no you know what because i would spend this much for yeah going and having that I'm very glad that I did it. And I then paid an extra amount of money to get the physical graphic novel as well. So that clearly shows that I thought it was um, worth putting that investment into it because, um, yeah, it was really good. And, yeah, it does have that replayability. I guess it's kind of a bit of a, a weird one, isn't it? Because you sometimes think with a longer audio thing, okay, you get more of that experience, therefore you'll maybe pay a bit more. But actually, how many times will you listen to a 11-hour audiobook? Whereas how many times will you listen to a three-hour audiobook? Yes, I think that's quite interesting, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's not many audiobooks I probably would go back and listen to again, actually. I think that's um, that's an interesting point. Yeah, it's a very off topic, but it's an interesting thing about the model that Audible's got. You know, it's not kind of a library loan system. It's not a Netflix streaming system. It's a you purchase one a month and you have it forever but really how many times are you going to listen it's it's an interesting thing that yeah this audio market that is more like a book market that has you know used the library system for ages that they have that kind of it's based more on actually owning something um it's yeah and you know you can't you know loan things to other people like when they were on predominantly on cds yeah um and stuff like that it's just yeah i don't have any answers to it it's just um, it's quite interesting i've been thinking about yeah but in this case owning it is good because you will want to listen to it over and over i think yeah so i yeah i would highly recommend getting it is that a recommendation from you as well oh for sure yeah Yeah, yeah. and so part of the reason that i wanted to do the listening and reading at the same time bit was partly for yeah looking at those adaptation things but also to see whether i would recommend the sort of multi-sensory experience of all the things at once and i kind of do um it, it was quite good but i think however you get to it if you do the graphic novel or you do the audio or you do them together or you do them both but at separate times or whatever i think they're all phenomenal so yeah definitely a huge recommendation for me yeah i think that's two thumbs up from both of us Mm -hmm. the next book that we're going to be well the next story that we're going to be doing is bbc dramas gundren this is kind of like one of the first radio stories that I think I, I listened to. So I'd be quite interested to see what um, you think about that. Mm. So stay tuned. I think we're going to be doing Carpet People after that. And then we might have a few exciting special guests appearing as well. Okay, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us. I hope you stay safe. Things are opening back up in the UK. But um, yeah, don't mess it up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, second that. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.